I had my baby and during the birth, there were some really intense moments and I ended up having to have a belly birth and my doula left when they were wheeling me away to have my belly birth. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the knowledge and confidence you need to erase the unknowns of pregnancy and birth and rock the newborn days like a boss. My name is Liesl Team. I'm a fellow mom, labor and delivery nurse, and your host. Each week on this podcast, you'll hear a mix of birth stories, expert interviews, and other fun pregnancy and birth-related content. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now let's get into this week's episode. Happy Monday, you guys, and happy first episode of February. Woohoo. I love February because it's actually a double, well, actually a triple birthday month in our family. My mom's birthday is in February. Walter's birth is in February. And Mommy Labor Nurse's birthday is in February. Yes, that's right. This February marks four years I've been out there making content for Mommy Labor Nurse. Super cool and super special. I've changed in so many positive ways since the birth of MLN, and I really can firmly say I think I've found my calling. It feels so good. It brings me so much joy to hang out with you guys here on the podcast every week, every day on Instagram, read your birth stories in the Facebook group and in DMs, and just connect with you all in this cool little space I've created. It's so fun. For MLN's birthday this year, I'm actually doing something that I've never, ever done before. Okay. I'm going to get a tattoo. I know. I said it. (laughs) I've always been so intrigued by tattoos. I think they're so beautiful and meaningful. You know, the ones that are beautiful and meaningful, I'm sure, you know, there are some, obviously some mistakes out there, (laughs) but I think it's pretty cool to make the decision to put a cool piece of art on your body forever. So yeah, I'm going to join the club. I don't have any tattoos. I don't know what the experience is like getting a tattoo. I'm 32 years old. Stay tuned for that experience over on Instagram this month. But yeah, I'm also saying it on the podcast here. So I actually hold myself accountable and actually do it. So you guys hold me accountable. Okay. All right. So this week on the podcast, I am chatting with my friend, Dr. Cassidy. You may know her on Instagram. She's got a pretty big page. She's a mom of three and a family therapist who specializes in perinatal mental health, parenting, trauma, life transitions, and loss. And I thought it would be so great to have her on the podcast today to talk to us all about birth trauma. It's such a heavy subject and needs so much more light shed onto it. Dr. Cassidy is seriously one of the best guests to discuss birth trauma. She not only has personally encountered birth trauma during one of her births, she will share in the episode with us. She has also worked with countless moms who also have experienced birth trauma in her professional practice. Today, we're talking about risk factors, how birth trauma affects support people, how to process birth trauma if you've been through it, and so much more. This is such a great episode to listen to, so let's dive right in. Wondering what you need to do to stay on track during each week of pregnancy? Not sure what you need to be learning or researching along the way? I can help. 
Sign up for our free weekly pregnancy series to get tips, advice, and resources tailored to your exact week of pregnancy sent straight to your inbox every week. Sign up at mommylabornurse.com slash I am pregnant to get your first email today. See you in your inbox real soon. Hi, Dr. Cassidy. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today with me. Oh, thank you for having me. I am so excited to just get a chance to chat with you, but also to dive into our topic today. Yes, such, such an important topic that we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about birth trauma a little bit more, but before we dive into our convo, Dr. Cassidy, I wanted you to introduce yourself, if you could, and tell all our listeners who you are. Yeah. So my name is Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm also a mom to three. I have a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a almost 16-month-old. Oh, the baby. <laughs> yes. So she just cut her like last tooth, at least for a while. She's sleeping through the night. I just weaned. So I just feel like while there's so many emotions about her getting older and the weaning was hard for like emotional reasons and like also like physiological, like, oh my gosh, I felt like a crazy person hormonally for a little while there, but I get it. I've been there. I know it. <laughs> just to have my body back in those ways and to, I don't know. She was starting to get like frustrated because she was always pulling on my shirt in public. And I was like, okay, like I'll nurse often, but like, sometimes girlfriend, like I'm not going to whip out. Like it's just, you just nursed, you know? And so I'm just, I'm feeling like we're in a really nice little season right here, which is I have had enough experience now as a mom to know the importance of like pausing in that. Cause I just know things can change tomorrow and we could be in a tougher season. And I'm just trying to soak it up right now. Cause she's at a really fun age, just like so fun. Yeah. It's so fun. And so, yeah, it's been good. It's been good. <laughs> yeah. I love it. My little one is just a month behind. He just turned 15 months. So he's just a month behind yours. And I have an older one as well. So I know like the cool age that you're talking about. Like, I feel like we're just, I mean, he is a toddler now. Like he very much tells me that he's a toddler like all day, but it's just so fun to see how their little brains work and they're starting to just you know, point at things and really like understand you so much more. And it's just, it's so cool. I just, I'm going to miss this state. Like Walter, my older one, the older that he gets, like the more I feel like we bond in a lot of ways, but I just, oh, I love that. Like almost year and a half kind of stage. They're so cute. <laughs> it is one of my favorite stages. Like it really is. Like they're still little, they're still babies. I know. They're just my baby. I know. But they're like, they can understand a little bit more. I mean, we're still, we're like, we're still getting the tantrums. They can feed themselves. Like. They can feed themselves and they're sleeping through the night. Like hopefully, oh, it's good. It's good. If anyone's listening and they're either expecting or they're like in the thick of like that fourth trimester, that first year, there will come a day where you are not your baby's food source or you're not always having the clean bottles or you are getting a chance to actually get some restorative rest at night, that comes, it comes in. It's so hard when you're in it to see the light. Like with my first, I just thought I'm never going to feel the same. And I am starting to feel like I'm connected back to myself in some ways again. Like I 
I'm able to wear a bra that isn't like a nursing bra. You don't have a clasp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing clients again. Like she can go with childcare and I don't have to pump. And like, it's just, I'm starting to feel like myself again. And what was great about this third time is I had the perspective knowing that like, even in the middle of that fourth trimester, that first year and how hard it was that like, I will find myself again. I can find myself. And that was really helpful to have that perspective. And I wish I could bottle it up and give it to new moms. <laughs> like everybody, I know, like, please, here is the perspective that you need that will help you throughout your whole motherhood journey. I totally agree. That's great insight. Well, like I said in the beginning briefly, we are going to be talking about birth trauma today. And Dr. Cassidy, do you mind? I know you kind of like introduce yourself a little bit, but do you mind just telling our listeners a little bit about like what you do, your experience with working with women who have experienced birth trauma? Yeah. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice. And I also offer education and resources on social media through my account, Dr. Cassidy. And I have e-courses to help people prepare for postpartum. And the reason that this has become my like life's mission to shed light on um, maternal mental health and peripartum wellness for the whole family is because of our own experience. You know, our first was really the muse for this going into my first pregnancy. I was a therapist at the time. And so I was like, I'm prepared for like all the things, but I had anxiety. I did the same thing. I'm a labor and delivery nurse. So I'm like, I got this. Yeah, I've seen this like this. a number of times. Yeah. And I had anxiety and I knew I had been doing my own work around anxiety, but I had never been pregnant before. So the way in which anxiety showed up for me during pregnancy, which you and I have a podcast episode all about this on my podcast, Holding Space, so people can you know, go find that if they are relating to these pieces. But I had a lot of anxiety during my pregnancy. And the way it was showing up was I became very achievement-oriented and having the perfect birth plan and having the perfect registry and all those things prepared but let's talk about the birth plan because my birth plan, and again, in my mind, I'm like, I am preparing. I'm going to these childbirth classes, which were helpful, but gosh, like we need to do such a better job in preparing couples for not only birth, but processing their birth and what happens after. But I had a very rigid birth plan, very rigid ideas about what I wanted my birth to look like. There's so much that's out of that, it's like it's out of our control and that is out of our control around pregnancy and birth that I wanted, I really held on tight to what I felt like I could control, which was this birth plan. I ended up hiring a doula who aligned with some of my rigid ideas around what I want my birth to look like. I love doulas, but I found one that ended up actually being a part of my own traumatic experience, playing her own part in that. But I picked her because of my anxiety around birth. And so I had really rigid ideas around not wanting to have any medication, quote unquote natural, which like now just even that word makes me cringe and having a vaginal birth and the skin to skin afterwards. And just that like that, this is this moment that I really pictured. And so then I had my baby and during the birth, there were some really intense moments and I ended up having to have a belly birth and my doula left when they were wheeling me away to have my belly birth because, I mean, there was, I remember looking at her face. This, this was a big part of the trauma for me is not only was I pushing for 
I know, two and a half hours and just completely out of it during that time. I'm in so much pain. But when I finally said, I can't anymore and what do I want the baby to get distressed? And that was starting to show. And so they gave me a few options and I chose the belly birth at that moment, which I wish I had said that I was ready for much earlier. But when I looked at her face, I saw like shame. You know, she was really big on like her numbers, like she didn't have any C-sections or belly bursts. And I felt like I was letting her down in that moment. They wheeled me away. When my daughter was finally born, I couldn't look at her, open my eyes because I was so exhausted and was feeling just the heaviness of shame of my body failed me. I failed her. What's wrong with me? I'm broken. I mean, at the time, I wasn't aware that those were all the things that I was holding but I couldn't even look at her. I couldn't open my eyes. And I just had memories of my partner saying to me, like, she's here. Look at her. Open your eyes. And I couldn't. And then I didn't get a chance. I didn't get to hold her right away. There was no like skin to skin with that first. And it was traumatic. And then following that, that just really spiked my anxiety because of the trauma around that. PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder after birth is an anxiety disorder. And so it falls under that umbrella. And so I was struggling with postpartum anxiety. And then my partner from his own history and his own triggers around becoming a father actually experienced postpartum depression, which neither of us knew anything about at the time or were aware that that was a thing. He was never assessed at any of the follow-up visits. And it took us a long time to identify, get support, and heal. So that collection of experiences, once those wounds for me and for us turned to scars and began to heal because we were finally able to get support, which took me way too long, but eventually did, then that became the muse for the work that I do today. So I work with couples who are expecting and post partum in supporting them in preparing for postpartum and or in processing their birth and or addressing any of the challenges that can come up in postpartum around mental health and relationships and bonding and identity. And so, yeah, my experiences were the muse for the work that I do today. As many of us, I mean, that's like, I think how many of us get our start here especially in the online space, you know, like you take your personal experience that has happened to you and then you try to, you know, share what to do or what not to do or, you know, it kind of like is the start of something really cool that usually teaches you a lot of things about yourself. That's what I feel like Mommy Labor Nurse has given me as well. So, well, thank you for sharing that that own personal story of yours. I think that gives a lot of people, you know, when we're talking about birth trauma, they can relate a little bit more knowing that like you deeply experienced it yourself. So can you first start by defining birth trauma? Because I think that's something that sometimes people have issue with is like, well, it doesn't, you know, this happened to my friend and she doesn't seem very traumatized by it. Like, is it really birth trauma? It's a great question. So according to research, the percentage is kind of varies, but let's say approximately around 9% of women experience postpartum or the individual who had birthed their child experience postpartum post-traumatic stress disorder following childbirth. And this can be caused by a real or perceived traumatic 
event experience during delivery or during that period right after delivery. And so a couple of different ways in which these traumas could, like some of the things that can be potential events that can be part of this birth trauma experience could be a prolapsed cord, unplanned C-section or belly birth, use of a vacuum or forceps to deliver the baby, your baby going to NICU. And it's not just, you know, these maybe moments where, oh my gosh, like there was the baby's heart rate was dropping or, you know, a loss that happened. These things absolutely can be traumatic and are traumatic for many and can contribute to this. But sometimes it's also about a previous trauma that gets triggered during childbirth, right? So let's say that there was um, a sexual assault that happened in your past. Then giving birth and some of the components of birth can sometimes bring that stuff back to the forefront or feel like it's re-traumatizing. Sometimes there's a situation where, you know, for instance, during my birth, I struggled with calling it birth trauma for a while because I'm like, well, my baby was okay and, you know, she was healthy and like, did anything bad really happen? But what was more traumatic for me were the moments in which I felt like there was, like I was powerless or couldn't find my voice. I felt silenced by my doula, unfortunately. Like I didn't voice the things that I was experiencing out of fear of, I don't know, going against what I told her I wanted, even though things were shifting and changing. I wasn't able to honor that for myself. So I felt powerless and I, like I didn't have control, but I also felt shame and like I was broken and like I did something wrong. And so there were these emotional and relational kind of components in that that were traumatic for me. And so sometimes it's not necessarily what happened during the birth itself, but who was in the room and what people said or what you experienced during the birth. And so in terms of what this can actually look like and what some of the symptoms can look like for PTSD following childbirth, there can be intrusive re-experiencing of the event, flashbacks or nightmares, avoidance of anything that feels connected to the event. So people might find themselves really struggling to, you know, go back to the doctor. Driving on the same road that you went on here. Like I remember I had a podcast episode a few episodes before this where she talked about having her baby in the car and she's like, it's still driving by that that road, driving on that road, I still, it's like, it still brings it back to the forefront. Absolutely. You can find yourself feeling this like persistent increased sort of arousal in terms of like that fight or flight response, that stress response. So this hypervigilance, you can find yourself having like a really sensitive startle response. Someone can find themselves having a hard time sleeping, irritability, because okay, there's that fight or flight response, right? Which is that stress response that oftentimes revs up when there is a threat or when we have felt like there is a danger or threatened. And when you experience something traumatic, it kind of turns on that system in your brain. It, this little guard kind of pops up and is like, that was really scary. I don't want this to happen again. So you kind of stay on guard. You have this like little guard in your brain, always looking for anything that is any which way connected so that you can avoid that thing or not have that experience happen again. But what that can lead to is feeling, is turning on that fight or flight response. And one of those is flee, right? So avoidance. But one of those is fight. 
So you might find yourself being on edge and feeling really ragey or irritable. It can also be associated with anxiety and panic attacks and sometimes a feeling, a sense of detachment where you just feel like disconnected. And that can, of course, impact bonding and uh, it can lead to guilt and shame. And it's just it's a really painful thing to experience. I want anyone who's listening to hear all of this and maybe you're connecting to some of these pieces or maybe you're not connecting to all of it. And you're like, well, I don't know if it's PTSD or really trauma. Like you said, some people might have a similar experience or they might've had a C-section and they don't seem traumatized by it. I really want you to take a moment to pause and ask yourself, is what happened to me impacting my functioning as a human, for myself, as a mom? As a parent, do I find myself, when I think about it, feeling stress or on edge? Does it bring up emotions or physical sensations that might feel like fear? Or do you find yourself not wanting to think about it, like it's much too intense to do that? If any of those things resonate with the listener right now, I want you to know that you deserve support and you don't have to fit into the PTSD diagnostic box to get that support. I don't think that I, I didn't fit the perfect PTSD diagnostic boxes, like for my experience, but I desperately needed support and I went and I got it and it was transformative because it also, there was old stuff. There was other stuff that my brain had connected to this birth experience that needed to be processed too. And it brought all of this forward and it gave me space to heal. And I did that actually through EMDR in my own therapy. And so we could talk about that at some point too, but. Yeah, that's a little synopsis of what this can look like. Yeah, no, that was great. Thank you so much. I would love to talk about EMDR too in a little bit, but I do want to talk about risk factors too. So I'm sure that someone who has had a previous traumatic event happen in their life is more likely to have birth trauma, but are there any other risk factors that are associated with higher rates of having a traumatic birth? Yeah. So having previous trauma can definitely be a risk factor and trauma related to childhood and anything in your life where there was something that happened related to maybe power control that you feel was really intense in your life or where you felt scared. That can definitely be a risk factor. Having anxiety. So previous mental health diagnoses or experiences can definitely be risk factors. So if you're somebody who runs on the anxious side, sometimes that can manifest and show up as like needing control and rigidity around certain things. And so that was definitely the case for me and definitely put me more at risk when things didn't happen where I felt like I didn't have control. Having a previous loss can definitely be a risk factor as well, for sure. And yeah, I think just kind of like overall sense of your relationships and your support system. So if somebody doesn't necessarily have a really strong relationship with their partner or feel supported by them, that can sometimes be a risk factor or the other support systems around them. The relationship with your provider can definitely yeah, that's why if someone's listening and they're like, I don't really feel super great with my doctor, but like, you know, like, is it really worth making the change? That's like one of the main things. <laughs> it is so important to feel like your provider is someone that you feel safe with, that you can be open with, you can share your vulnerabilities with, that you trust, right? And so these are a couple of the big ones to kind of pay attention to. Yeah, no, that makes sense. 
All right, the sound of that baby crying means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. All right, this one says, Hi, I just wanted to share that we welcome our first little one this past Tuesday, December 14th. Baby girl born eight pounds, five ounces, and 21 and a quarter inches long. That is a long baby. (laughs) I purchased one of your courses as I planned for an epidural, but I was open to going unmedicated depending on how things went. I thought the C-section course was beneficial as well, just in case something emergent required one. I labored at home for about six hours before heading into the hospital five minutes away. I was only two centimeters dilated, but after hanging out for an hour, I was at three centimeters and was given a choice to stay or go home. We decided to stay and got admitted around 7 a.m. My contractions started to get worse, so I asked for the epidural around 8, 30, 9 o'clock before I got to a point where I couldn't sit through them anymore. The epidural worked wonders. I was so relaxed, and when they checked me four hours later, I was seven centimeters dilated. Towards the end, though, it seemed like the epidural became one-sided, so they administered a little more medication. However, the pain didn't go away, and I was told it could be the positioning of the baby. After switching myself into a couple different positions, we were able to get me to a point of comfort until I suddenly had a serious urge to push. The resident quickly performed a cervical check and was like, oh yeah, she's ready to go. (laughs) My OB was still 35 to 40 minutes away, but I couldn't hold it in any longer, so I was assisted by my nurse, the resident, and my husband to get this baby out. I only pushed for 20 minutes. Pretty exciting experience, but so glad our baby girl is here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, that is so sweet. I love it. I love it. Yeah, sometimes that happens. You know, sometimes they say, I feel like I'm going to push this baby out and the doctor is, you know, still at home or, you know, the midwife or whoever's still at home and baby's going to come when baby wants to come. (laughs) All right. If you want to check out the courses that this mom took, she took, I think she took a few of them, Birth It Up, the Epidural Series and Birth It Up, the C-Section Series. So if you want to check out those courses, just head over to mommylabornurse.com and click on all courses and you can read about each one and pick the one that's best for you. All right, let's get right back into this week's episode. You mentioned support with a partner too. So, and I know that you mentioned that your partner struggled with postpartum depression, mental health issues afterwards. I'm assuming that traumatic birth obviously can take part possibly in your partner or support person as well. So can you explain a little bit more maybe how that would manifest or maybe signs to look for? Yeah. So my colleague, Dr. Christine Sterling, she's an OBGYN. We have an e-course together called Prepared Postpartum. And when we were developing it, we were like, I follow her. She's great on Instagram. Yes. So when we were creating it, we were like, okay, we need to build this out to be for both partners because for both of us, our partners experience postpartum depression. And so we're like, we need to, (laughs) we need to get both people, right? Kind of preparing. And in our, we have a lesson in there all about preparing for birth and ways that you can begin to be proactive so that you can have these protective factors in place, right? And, or if something is intense, you know how to process it. And we include in there ways that people can do this, even if they're not the individual giving birth. So the birth support partner, because in that position, right, when me and my husband went to couples therapy, finally, and got support, we both did individually and then together. What came up for him during the birth in particular was he was on the sidelines 
and also felt like he was powerless and didn't have a voice and didn't have control. But the person that he cares about and loves is clearly in pain and suffering and struggling. And then also the moment for him when he turned to me and I couldn't look at the baby, that was really scary for him too. I think especially for him as someone who had never really even held a baby before, looking to the partner that you think is going to like be able to hold it together (laughs) to see them kind of falling apart was scary for him. Also, there's lots of blood potentially involved and just lots of elements that they are witnessing and might not be happening to their body, but they are there, right? Just like you could witness a car accident and have PTSD from the experiencing of that, of watching it, right? And this is with somebody that you really love and care about going through something too. And so absolutely the birth partner is also at risk for PTSD following childbirth. And it's really important to assess both partners. Unfortunately, assessment doesn't happen enough as it is, but birth support partners are even more so not assessed. I mean, my partner, we were going to follow-up visits and luckily I was assessed for depression, not so much anxiety. Why do they always like forget about that one? I mean... (laughs) I know they do. And it's like, oh my gosh, come on. But then they would turn to like the OB and my pediatrician, they would turn to my husband. And I remember one of them actually said to him, like, but you better be stepping up. Are you getting up in the middle of the night? And he was the one who was really struggling with depression at the time. And so it's just like one more message of like, my feeling, like I need to keep my feelings down. Like there isn't space for them here the shame and I'm not enough, right? Like I'm not doing enough and ugh, it was really rough. But yes, birth support partners are also at risk. So it's, uh, so it's important to kind of in the processing, be able to give space for both partners to share what their experience was. Yeah, no, I love that. Thank you for elaborating on that. So if this is resonating with a listener right now and they're saying, I think this is something that you know may have happened to me, what are kind of like first steps that can, you know, be started to start processing these events? Yeah, absolutely. Such a good question. So yes, getting support therapy, if this is impacting your functioning, if there are these symptoms, and even if there aren't, if you're just like, I don't want to walk through this alone. I think I need support to kind of understand my experience following this episode. If you feel any of those things, you deserve support. And there are therapists out there. There are providers out there who can walk you through this. Postpartum Support International is a great resource with a directory. I'll talk more about EMDR in a little bit, but EMDR has its own directories where you can find folks who have experience in this specialization and in these approaches. But in terms of processing your birth, I think that a couple of steps that are really important to do are to create space to recall the events, right? To actually gather information about what happened, recall events, process your emotions, Find space to share your story with others and then create meaning from your experience. And and that can take a lot of time for some folks. But in terms of recalling events, you know, just taking time to go back and reflect on what happened. Like when something is traumatic, our brain tends to store those memories almost like chapters in a book or scenes in a movie. And so going through the different kind of chapters and scenes and identifying 
okay, when I think back to my birth, what feels like chapter one and what happened there? Sometimes it could be helpful actually to talk to other people who were in the room, to talk to your provider, ask questions about certain things because gosh, like you could have been out of it for part of it or not even knowing what was happening, but things were happening to you. I find it really helpful to write things down, like journal things too. Yeah, this can be a beautiful space to do that. I think people sometimes are like, but what do I journal about? Like, so let's journal about the different chapters, the different scenes that come up for you as you're kind of recalling these events. And then as you're going through that, kind of really honoring for yourself the emotions that come up, right? There can be so many in there. There could be moments of joy, of connection, of love. There can also, though, be moments of fear or sadness or loss or anger or frustration or feeling out of control, feeling powerless. So identifying and naming those emotions. And then, you know, if you find that it's really tricky to begin to process those feelings, right? And understanding why they're showing up there and and how they're still showing up, that can be a beautiful space for a therapist or someone to support you in understanding and unpacking those experiences. And so the next sort of part here of sharing your story is, you know, with natural supports in your life, with people who have earned the right to be a witness to your birth story and or with a provider who can really support you in processing it as you walk through it. It can be really important to begin to bring that story and that experience out of your heart and your body and your mind and to put it in a space where someone can hold space for it and be a witness to it. And over time, our hope in healing is that we can make meaning of our experiences, right? So gosh, at the time when I was in it and still really struggling, if you would have told me like, my gosh, one day you're going to be supporting other parents who go through this, I'd be like, no way, (laughs) you know, because I am like, I feel like I am drowning in these feelings and in these memories. And it was so raw. But now, like, I've made so much meaning of my experience. I can talk about it without feeling that physical, like, tightness in my chest or flush in my face. Maybe I'll still cry sometimes when I talk about it, but it's coming from a place of tenderness towards myself. I've shared now my first that I had this birth with. She's 10 and I've gotten a chance to share my birth story with her. And I did cry, but it was like having her be a witness to this story and like the connection of like, I felt so disconnected in that moment. And I share it with her because I want her to know that if she ever has these experiences, she's not alone. Right. But that like, I felt disconnected in that moment. Like I couldn't even look at you. And that really impacted my bonding in the very beginning. I struggled that, oh my gosh, the relationship that I have with her now. Yes. I didn't get to hold her and have her on my chest the minute she was born. I didn't get to be the first person to like hold her right before all these things happened to her. And I didn't get to do that, but I get to hold her for the rest of my life, right? Like she was right there and I could hug her and I could squeeze her. And that moment doesn't get to define who I am as a woman, who I am as a mother, but it took me time to get to that place, to make meaning of my experience, be able to share that story, right, with others and then with her once she was old enough. And I felt like I could really have that conversation with her. And then in subsequent births, right, like all of those births, I know some people after having a traumatic birth are very scared to have another child. And that can often just be a, a signal that more support is needed in processing that birth. But in my subsequent births, you know, with my son and then my daughter, my third, 
Those experiences were actually very healing. I was scared, but I did some work and I was able to process and I took some steps. I actually found a new provider because I did want to try for a vaginal birth after my belly birth cesarean. And my first provider wasn't open to that. And I just wanted at least to have the option, right? To have the conversation because I knew that rigidity around anything wasn't going to be supportive to me anymore. And so I found a provider that was open to that. And you know what? My second and my third births were both cesarean belly births. All of my babies entered this world through my belly. But that, that next birth after that first, it was such a different experience because when I felt in my gut, in my body, and I had done work to be able to trust my body again, when my body was signaling to me, this baby's not going to come out vaginally. Like it's time to meet your baby and to meet your baby, your baby to come out through your belly. I felt empowered to uh, communicate that. And then that cesarean, all the things that were traumatizing for the first, the cold room, the lights, the all of it, it was so different. The cold, the, yes, the room was still cold, but I was able to honor that like it's cold because it's keeping me and my baby safe, right? The lights are here so that the doctor can really see what's happening. I asked the doctor if they could lower the curtain so that I could see him being born. We did some pseudo skin to skin, cheek to cheek. My partner and I had made plans for him to do skin to skin because we, with the first, I didn't even give us a chance to talk about what would we do if we had a C-section because it was not on the birth plan, but now we were prepared. And this is what I want for all couples and all birthing people to be able to feel empowered going into their birth, no matter what ends up happening. Cause there's so many different ways that it can often go. Right. But then, so then those subsequent births became part of how I made meaning. And then my third, we went straight to the belly birth. I went into labor and we went straight into it. And it was also, there's moments of, of intensity. It was during COVID. So there was, we had our own sort of stuff there, but you know what? I was able to feel empowered and embrace flexibility and compassion for all that my body is doing through surgery, you know, and really able to see that as me giving birth. I mean, I remember at a moment with my third, it was more recent when they were, I felt a lot of pressure and there was a lot of like pushing and pulling as they were taking her out of me. And I remember that moment telling myself, here you are, Cass, you're giving birth right now. You're laboring right now. You're pushed. She's coming out right now. Like you are birthing her right now. And just saying that to myself was so powerful because with the first, all that I was experiencing was you failed her, you're broken, your body couldn't do this, and you're weak. And it shifted to this new thing. And that was from doing the work of healing and, and making meaning of my experience. And then preparing with flexibility, you know, in mind. I still had a birth plan, but it was a birth plan that was really connected to what my values are and how I wanted my values to be informed in my decisions during birth versus this, this, and this needs to happen, right? It's more about what do I value around birth? I value safety and security. I value connection and how in these different moments where there's decision points, how can those values help inform the decision that we're going to make here versus what was on that piece of paper from these things that I learned about in the birth class that I do or don't want to happen or do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think that's such a powerful testament to people because I think a lot of people automatically think if they try for a VBAC and they quote unquote fail their VBAC and they have another C-section, I hate using the word fail in general, um, but they have another C-section, they think it's going to be traumatic just like the first one. And I'm glad that you talked through that 
so well, because I think that's really, really powerful for people to hear that it doesn't have to be traumatic, even if you have a repeat, you know, another C-section, it really can be a completely different experience. And you know what's so wild is that after my first, I've had three C-sections and belly births and three different times that my belly's been cut into and I've gotten a scar. With my first, that scar was so red and keloided and raised and angry and just painful until literally with my second birth, that doctor literally had, the scar was so thick. He literally had to cut off that scar to cut me open again. Yeah. They have to do that sometimes. Right. And when I healed from that second birth, you could barely see the scar once it healed. And it's interesting because like now with my third, it accumulated a little bit again. And I'm like, huh, what? And you're like, you know, that's just my body. I am prone to keloid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did really feel like that scar represented the experience of how resistant I was to that happening versus my second and third where I was so much more flexible and present and not angry with my body, you know? So I don't know. I think it's our bodies, the heart, body, mind connection is so impactful. And that could be a doorway into talking about EMDR if you want to hear a little bit more about that. I was just going to say before we, you know, wrap up the episode, I do really want to talk about EMDR because I'm not even super crazy like I don't really even understand what it is. So please tell me all about EMDR. <laughs> yes. So I will share a link with you that you can share in the show notes. That is a blog post I wrote about EMDR that kind of just breaks down like more logistics of it. But basically, EMDR is an evidence-based approach to treating trauma, but also other things like phobias and anxiety. And it can be really supportive around like self-esteem and these sort of things. And it sounds woo-woo, but it's not. It sounds like hypnosis, but it's not. It stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which I feel like isn't super helpful because like, what does that even mean? It's a word jumble. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But basically EMDR is a step-by-step -step approach to supporting someone in processing traumatic experiences by activating our body's sort of natural healing processes. So when you're asleep during REM sleep, your brain is trying to process the events of the day. And it does that through rapid eye movement. And the bilateral stimulation of moving your eyes side to side or doing other things like an EMDR, there's also sometimes tapping or buzzers that go back and forth. What you're actually doing there is activating that same thing that happens during REM sleep where your brain is getting a chance to process things. And both sides of the brain are being activated there. And what's cool is that through EMDR, with the support of a therapist, you can go back to certain memories, give your brain finally a chance to process these things with a therapist who can kind of see if you're getting blocked or if there's, you're getting stuck anywhere or if there's, and then what your brain will do is it'll show you like where the healing needs to happen. And so sometimes you'll find yourself initially going in to treat a traumatic birth, but you'll discover that there's a lot of other stuff, other memories in there that your brain is kind of connected. Our brain's job is to keep us safe. And so it'll do this by constantly making connections or categorizing things or storing things close together or connecting little memories through these little, little memory circuits. And that's really helpful in helping us make sense of our experiences in the world around us. But when we experience trauma, the way that that's stored is in a way that can kind of keep us sort of hypervigilant 
or always kind of looking for anything that's connected to this and then making those connections to each other and living with that trauma kind of at the forefront or impact, even if we aren't aware of it, it's impacting our functioning in day to day. So EMDR helps us kind of identify what needs to be healed and it taps into this like natural process that can happen in our brain in terms of storing these memories in a new way. Not that you're going to forget that they happened or rewrite history, but store it in a way that is workable, that is allowing you to move forward and to be able to look back on these experiences with an understanding and meaning of those experiences so that you can move forward and heal. And so in terms of therapy, it's different from talk therapy. There's very much like a step-by-step process to it. And I have that blog post that kind of breaks down those pieces because with the time we have, I couldn't go into deep detail about it, but it's so powerful. And I can just share a quick example. So I went in to do EMDR around my traumatic birth. And then when we were in there and the therapist did the assessment with me and we kind of identified the negative thoughts that I was having around the birth, which is part of the assessment, the physical sensations, the image that I was having around the birth. And then, you know, we would track, you know, how disturbing does it feel to you? And what would you prefer to believe about yourself when you think about this birth? When I brought those things forward, what it brought was cognitions, thoughts, an image and physical sensations, and then emotions, right? Identifying the emotions too. And once we kind of pinpointed those pieces, the therapist would ask me to let your mind float back to other times when you felt these things before. And oh my gosh, there were some memories in there. Other times where I felt like I didn't have, I wasn't safe or I didn't have control. I felt powerless. Like I didn't have a voice or I was scared. And a therapist then helped me identify the earliest memory connected in that little like, you know, circuit of memories that are connected to each other that my brain had connected the earliest one. And then we use that one, which you would call the touchstone memory to open up this reprocessing. So we would identify that memory. We would bring it to mind, almost like going into a storage room and turning on the lights by connecting with the negative thought I had, the emotions and the physical sensations around that memory and the image. And then we would engage in bilateral stimulation. So either eye movement, tapping, or the buzzers. And then the therapist would say, so we would do that and we would just kind of see where your mind goes. And what's so cool is that our mind is so powerful and our brain wants to heal. Our brain is geared towards wanting to process and heal. When we have finally the space to do it and we're not just like taking in more data all the time or you know, living life where <laughs> you're just busy, when you actually give it space and time and allow your brain to start to do the processing that already naturally happens typically during REM sleep, it is so powerful what happens and the different things and ways in which my brain was able to, yes, remember some of these memories, but then bring forward other pieces of the memories that I hadn't been thinking about for so long. There hadn't been room for that because my brain was so focused on the traumatic parts of it. And it's a really cool process and it's really powerful and potent. I mean, what could be accomplished in like three years of talk therapy when someone is ready and if EMDR is the right fit, I mean, you can process and heal in the span of three months that which would have otherwise taken maybe three years, you know? So it's really powerful approach. 
I was also recently interviewed on Scary Mommy because Prince Harry had shared that he had done EMDR to process the death of his mother. And I was interviewed on Scary Mommy to talk about it. So I can share that article with your listeners too. So you can just kind of hear from these different angles what EMDR is. And I talk more about my own experience with EMDR on my own podcast as well. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a fabulous episode. I think it's like just so jam packed for someone who, you know, is unfortunately maybe struggling with some birth trauma and wants to just reach out and listen to whatever resources that they can. So thank you so much for joining me. Can you tell our listeners, remind our listeners where they can find you on social media, where they can connect with you? Yes. So on Instagram, I'm at Dr. Cassidy. I've been playing around on TikTok a little bit too, at Dr. Cassidy on TikTok. But so yeah, Dr. Cassidy, D-R-C-A-S-S-I-D-Y. And then I have my own podcast called Holding Space, which you can find on anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify and Apple iTunes. And I also have my e-courses. I have my e-course prepared postpartum with Dr. Sterling. I have a postpartum anxiety and postpartum rage. Why am I yelling workshop with Carrie Locker that people can watch. And yeah, so these are a couple of different ways that people can connect with me or get some resources that I'm offering. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and letting me be a part of your motherhood journey. It is truly an honor. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And I love hearing what you guys think of the podcast. So if you're liking what you hear or you have a suggestion, I'd be so grateful if you'd go ahead and leave me a review wherever you're listening to help more mamas just like you find the show. What do you think? Are you starting to feel a little more confident about your pregnancy and birth? Well, if you want more, be sure to head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast for today's show notes and a library of episodes so you can keep getting educated before your upcoming birth. And while you're over there, be sure to check out the blog and learn about our online birth classes. Find it all and more over at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. See you next week. Same time, same place.